Good evening. Thank you all for coming this evening, and thank you, virtual audience, for joining us. This is our first event with author Michael Crumley, whose book, Deep Freeze, got a great cover. looks really cold, just to look at it. Yay. So, Michael, since we haven't met and since I'm behind, why don't I let you introduce yourself? What are your, you know, credentials for actually writing a book? I have no credentials whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> right, Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. So do I, I look at the camera? No, just was, talk to the I'll just kinda, Yeah, all right. we're good. Uh, so I actually, um, I, I think this is act true for a lot of writers, that they have a career before they end up writing, right? Uh, especially a lot of the, the legal guys and stuff. They have lawyers. Or they were lawyers or they still are lawyers. Uh, a lot of sci-fi people, I think, are, are, are like, you know, math teachers and physics teachers and things like that. Nerds, is that nerds, the kind right, of words yeah, you're exactly. looking for? So I was a nerd. I was a nerd. I was, uh, I was in IT for many, many years. Um, so there's a, the, uh, I, there's a technical slant to some of my stuff, but it doesn't lose you or anything like that. But I was in IT for a long time, and I wrote my first book. Um, this, is, this is kind of a funny story. I wrote my first book because – have you heard of the, the uh, app on your phone, the game called Words with Friends? Yeah, so I wrote my book because of words with friends, and the reason is is it's a it's like a it's a, like a Scrabble game, okay. online, right? You can play with people. So I was playing with my mom, <clears throat> and she would have a game going, and so it would be my turn, and then it would ding, and I would go, and 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 then she figured out, her and my sister figured out that you can have multiple games with the same person going. So then they had like twenty or thirty games going, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my phone kept dinging and dinging. And I'm thinking, man, I've got to do something more constructive with my time. <laughs> and, and that's what got me started with the writing. Because I had an idea in my head. And I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to get to that. I heard about Amazon and this Kindle thing. You can even, you know, self-publish. And, um, and so my daughters were young at the time. And they would go to bed at, you know, 8 o'clock. And so I tried to do something constructive with the other few hours. And that's how I kind of what started the first book. And then it just kind of went on from there. Right. So I see, now that I picked up the book and refreshed my memory, that um, you you are the are the author of the Breakthrough and Monument series. So yep. what are those? So Breakthrough is a really cool idea. That was my very first book, <clears throat> and I had that in my head for a long time. And it's a story about um, some marine biologists who use a supercomputer uh, to translate the language or break the barrier between. Uh, humans and dolphins, the language barrier. Love it. And so they actually, for the very first time in history, they have a real conversation with dolphins. And what they find out is both really exciting and really frightening. Okay. And uh, and that actually was a big hit. And that's kind of what took off. I wrote some other books after that. And people were like, my gosh, this is really great. And so I wrote a sequel, and then I wrote several books after that. It turned out to be kind of a long series. Monument is... Uh, is a is more recent. There's it's a duology right now. I'll probably be a third book, and it's about. Gosh, how can I explain that? Um, it's about if if you had a chance to talk to somebody else, dead or alive. The question is, you know, who would it be? And it's about that. But it's a it, it it's about how that actually might really happen. And it sounds you a little talking strange. to somebody dead. <clears throat> Maybe. 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 It's, you it were really strange. a nerd, weren't you? A total mean, nerd. <laughs> I can certainly you could see not that. be more nerdy than me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's 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 hard to explain, but I think if you read the book it'd be it would make a lot of sense. Okay. So I thought about this book being if I had to make an analogy to another author's work, I would probably say James Rollins because, you know, you've got 
you've got science, you've got looking forward, you've got a thriller, you know, basic thriller plot or thriller idea here and so forth. I'm very fond of Jim, and we have tons of Jim Rollins fans, some of whom might actually be watching. Um, so I really enjoyed reading it. Um, tell us about John Reith, because his journey is, um, it's even faintly possible. I mean, look what Ted Williams tried to do. For, wasn't it Ted Williams that went into the cryo-freezing? It was, right? I think so. Some a couple people just left their heads, which I thought was a mistake. But that I think I think <laughs> Ted Williams actually um, left his whole body. Yeah. Well, um, Walt Disney, I think, did the same thing. I really? Think, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of people. So this has been going on for yeah. you know thirty, forty years. It's been a long time. And so it's interesting because when we talk about like breakthrough, for example, <clears throat> I mean most of my books. I'm a geek, but I, I have a bit of a hang-up, and that is it's hard for me to get excited about, like, a, a science, science fiction-y idea if, it's, if I, it doesn't feel like it's ever really going to happen, right? I mean, it, it, if some of them, some of them, you know, are, are so fun and the characters are so engaging that, that it's easy, but it's hard for me if I read a book and, and I'm like, man, I just can't see that ever really happen. It kind of loses something. And so a lot of my stories are actually based on the possibility and even the likelihood of it happening. So Breakthrough was like that, right? So Breakthrough, the, the whole thing about the translation with the dolphins and stuff, now there's there's dozens of teams actually working on doing that, using a supercomputer just like they did in the book. Yeah, I think the original, <coughs> I read something not long ago that said the original effort for humans to you know communicate with dolphins just bombed. They couldn't figure it out because yeah. they have tried it. But um, that was before supercomputers. Exactly. So that could change. And deep freeze is the same, right? So deep freeze kind of takes that question of, you know, how long can we really live? And and it's all based on real stuff. It's all based on real science, real things that are going on right now. You know, you look at the, like, the, the health industry, right? I mean, whether it's, you know, <coughs> health food or makeup. Or, I mean, we, everybody wants to feel younger or appear younger and, and, and there's really some interesting things happening. It's not, you know, the, the cryogenics and the cryonic stuff is really interesting. And that's been going on for a long time. And they're actually now finding that they're, they're making progress. One of the big problems when they freeze somebody is that it, 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 it's such a high temperature, it creates these icicles in all of your cells and it, and it destroys your cells. And so they're like, well, how can we avoid that? And now they actually have these kind of chemicals that, that are almost like an antifreeze and they kind of help inhibit some of that. And they've found now like dozens of animal species around the planet can do that. They can actually freeze solid and come back. So now you've got all the gene editing and stuff that's going on. And so the question is, is well, how you know, is that something that we could transfer from one? Is it Frankenstein in our future sort of a thing? Well, it could be. It right. could be. I thought the other day. I don't remember why Dana and I are in our morning walk. A friend who is visiting, we walk three miles every morning. And I, we even got on this subject. Maybe it was because I've been either reading or watching something apocalyptic, you know, because there's tons of dystopian. And I said to her, you know, the only thing that's going to make it through the next, you know, whatever it is, is going to be the cockroach. It seems to be, yeah, right. it seems to be beautifully adapted to, you know, whatever temperature or whatever, you know, might be going on. So clearly it's biology in some fashion, you know, has led it. And then Jim wrote, do you remember the book, I mean, you were Jim Rollins fans, the one that was set in Yellowstone, you know, when I gave away the entire plot in <laughs> the opening line of our discussion. Um, there are these weird little, um, I can't remember what they're called, that live in the volcanic pools, yeah, you know, right. it, yeah. it extreme, <laughs> extremophobes, that's actually what they're called. And somehow or other, they survive, you know, 
colossal temperatures and all. So maybe we're not yet adapted to all this kind of thing, but yeah, that's an interesting thought that with gene editing and all, I wonder if in fact we can be adapted to extremes. Yeah, I mean, what happens when we start, you know, um, taking on some of their, you know, DNA code, right, where we can kind of assimilate it into ourselves? And we've done that already. I mean, people, there's something, there's a process called CRISPR, which is yeah. how a lot of people are going to, and a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people basically are now changing their own DNA, right? Because the DNA has been sequenced, right, <clears throat> many times over. And so now people are looking for, you know, the little pieces and the clusters, and people are starting to take it on themselves, which I is kind of scary. If yeah, you think it is scary. It. I know you can clone your, your puppy, you know, if you want to. I don't remember. I think Rob got a price at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you can actually clone your dog if, um, you know, if you want to go that far. It's not. It's not even ridiculously expensive right and, and it's scientifically possible this stuff is all yeah. scientific haven't they done a sheep don't i remember yeah, that dolly maybe the, the first, first dolly was the sheep yeah. right the yeah, first and now they're doing all kinds of animals that you can do and yeah it's so i mean if the science is there really the question then comes down to when is it going to happen okay it's just a matter of time. Right? All right. So why don't we talk about John Reef? We haven't quite made it there yet. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> Remember him? Right. <clears throat> so how much do you want me to reveal about John? Well, we, let's talk about the opening because, you know, there has to be, in a thriller, you have to have, like, actually in a mystery, at what we call the instigating incident. Right. In other words, there has to be something that kicks off this plot. And, you know, he's such a, he's such a, I really cried when he died. I hated that. Yeah, he, so he's he's really interesting because <coughs> he's very quiet, right? And when you first meet him, he's very quiet. He's in a the opening scene takes place in a in a convenience store where there's something going on, and somebody comes in to rob it, and he's one of the few customers there, and you don't know anything about him, and he basically foils the whole thing. It's sort of like Reacher, you know, in that sense. Remember when he's walking down the street and the guy comes out from the dry cleaners? Just yeah, yeah. You know, the second Reacher, and, you know, there he is at the right moment, yeah, right? and they don't say anything. They don't say much. No. And then he's basically on a bus, right? And so he gets back on this bus, like a kind of a greyhound kind of thing. And, and uh, there's a mother and son that were there, and they get saved. And she's like, oh, thank us. Oh, no problem. And we just, it was just very unassuming and very yeah. quiet. And then there's an accident that happens. And so that... That whole opening scene is probably what, four or five chapters, and it's it's extremely, so it's uh, it's very uh, it's very action oriented. It's very harrowing. A lot of people are like, my gosh, I could, I just you sucked me in with that opening scene, mm -hmm. and then it's later that you kind of find out a little bit more about him, and 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 then there's this whole other story behind it. You're like, holy cow! And then it gets into some of the stuff that we talked about, right? The longevity stuff, a lot of the research being done. There's a lab that's doing stuff that nobody knows about. If you've watched Avatar, some of this will be not unfamiliar. Yeah, right. yeah, but yeah. anyway, since I've already said he died, let's let's elaborate on that <laughs> because that happens in like chapter two or three. Well, like, yeah, right. He kind of dies. I mean, you think he dies. Well, we think he dies. Right. And what happens is, is you know, it's the, the 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 accident is this bus kind of plunges into this frozen river, right? And so he basically is gone and. And some time passes, and it turns out that he's been frozen, and and he kind of has fallen into the system where, you know, he's kind of like a John Doe, and he turns out to be one of the the subjects that this lab is actually using to try to create this technology to bring to bring people back. Right, but let's go back because when the bus goes off the bridge into the water, he tries to save the mother and the child again. Yeah, and he does right. And it's because he does that that he can't get out in time, 
and he can't kick the window in, if I remember right. That, that's right. And so we see him just sinking into the river, and that's the moment. I, went, I didn't know where this book was going, but that was what, I liked him so much, you know, from what he'd already yeah, done. In four chapters, you just think yeah, he's, he's I awesome. Yeah, he was just a great guy, <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, you know, here he is, and I wondered what in the world you were going to do. Yeah. Not right. that's the part we won't tell them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't go too much into it, otherwise I don't want to spoil it, but... Um, yeah, I mean that—that's exactly what happens. He's trying to get out. He helps everybody else, and right. and he basically kind of, unfortunately. Are you all? Are you all here for our other? Because we have it. We have another event that starts at seven fifteen tonight, and I just wanted to make. But Patrick, you'll know who your club is, right? Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming. You've missed some of the fun stuff, but here's the thing: we're recording this, and you can watch it when you get home on our Facebook or YouTube channels, so you won't be. Why don't we just start over? Let's just go back to I don't think we could recapture that. that we God. <laughs> <laughs> if you can, if you, are you? No. No. no, no All right. No. So I don't know. we 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 have our our lead character in Deep Breeze has heroically saved people. He's a great guy. You love him. He's on a bus. It falls off into the river. Falls off a bridge. He tries to save everybody, and in the process, he can't save himself, so he dies. That's where we are. Chapter four, or five. Maybe. Something like that, yeah. Right, and then <laughs> that's when the book actually starts, okay? Right. And the whole book, I mean, we were talking earlier. I mean, the, the whole book, believe it or not, takes place in Arizona, which was co really coincidental. <coughs> um, you mean condensed that, that you're here because it takes place in Arizona? Well, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I was talking to my agent. He goes, oh, I know the people at Poison Pen. They're just really great. And I said, well, it's, that's ironic because the whole thing takes place in Arizona. <laughs> right. It would be perfect. <clears throat> and so most of the story actually takes place up in Flagstaff area. Some of it down here. Um, and the sequel, which we I'm don't have too many frozen rivers here in Phoenix. Well, right, yeah, that, that so, part, you know, that right part there. takes place somewhere else. That's <laughs> yeah, up in another right. state. But when, what, yeah, the, the whole lab and the whole secrecy, and, and some of it actually is kind of borrowed from Alcor, because Alcor is here, and that's the, the cryogenic company. Is it? I never out. did know the name of um, it. They're here in Arizona, and they, they're the ones that have been kind of leading this whole thing. Okay. Um, you know, Arizona, aside from our lack of water and its occasional extreme temperatures, is actually remarkably safe. We don't have earthquakes. We have, I mean, do you remember Patrick's a, a native? If, if we ever had like a hurricane or a typhoon, I was there a tornado? Well, I know we had a vicious hailstorm once that destroyed miles of, you know, cars and lots and tore the screens off our house and probably ruined solar for everybody. But can you remember another, like, catastrophe? Does anybody? Yeah, but, I mean, nothing that would, if, if you wanted to freeze your body with this company so that you could survive and be, this would be a relatively safe place to do that in the sense that, you know, we're, we're not oceanfront property, we're not, you know, no big cataclysms. Or, you guys have any bad traffic, anything like that? I mean, yeah, so but but that's not that's yet? not you know good. If if the vol going back to Jim Rollins, if the volcano under Yellowstone ever goes up, we're all toast. In, yeah, yeah. In this really part of the country, no, yeah. no, not the whole country, but this part of the whole country would you know, there we go. But aside from that, we're relatively safe from natural disaster, you know. Well, no, I I mentioned that, but you know, since this. I mean, if you're if you're in a company that, you know, is there whatever it is. But there we go. I wouldn't want to be in California, and you know, currently in California. And we don't have any any natural disasters in California. <laughs> right. You're not from San Diego. <laughs> right. We are this close to falling into the ocean. I 
man. It's like every year I wow. hear that something's going to happen. You know, the big one's going to happen. Here's, here's something I remember. New York City has, as you know, a, a lot of extremely wealthy people, many of whom are collectors. And the wine guys got together, a lot of them, and they stored their wine. And I can't remember what the facility was, but it looked like it was just like the forever wine vault, you know, whatever. In New York? In New York City. Um <clears throat> sort of underground or whatever it was. And then when the last time New York seriously flooded, it wiped it all out. Oh, my God. And I thought, you know. Whose right idea was that? Exactly. You know, New York is going to be one of those places that rising seas is not going to be friendly to. Well, you know, they had they had some of the hurricanes a few years ago, and I remember watching some of the some it of the It was footage. during the one that wiped out yeah. the island. That yeah. was all when it all happened. Yes. And, and they were kind of pointing out, I think even Central Park or maybe like downtown Manhattan, a lot of it is actually below water level. And so it's not a big surprise that it got flooded out. So why would somebody put that as your... I'm just saying that, you know, there's a tendency for us to think that, you know, things are safe when, if you're really paying attention, they uh, yeah, aren't I think a lot of times people think it, it, it won't happen because it hasn't happened, right? And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why Alcor is here. I would not but be no, surprised that's, that's at all. No, that's where I was going with yeah. that, is that they may have chosen to be here because it is a relatively stable place. Yeah, right. And if you're if you're taking a long-term view, like freezing people for 100 years or something, you know, you have to think about that. Yeah, exactly. And well, and that that kind of comes into this uh, story towards the end. It tur turns out that there's kind of people behind this secret project and one of their big concerns is, all right, look, we want to make sure that we can wake up, right? I mean, okay. If we're going to freeze ourselves, we want to make sure we're going to wake up in one piece. So when Mr. Reef dies in the river, he actually sets himself up to be the subject of a secret project. We can't yeah. say that. In inadvertently, yeah. He actually kind of Well, gets yeah, no, he didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> right, exactly, no, yeah. right? Not, well, and what happens, too, is um, when he comes to, he, the other piece is that he knows things that he ha he's not supposed to know. Because, I mean, he was frozen for a period of time. Right? right. And it turns out that he knows certain things, and they don't know why or they don't know how or anything like that. But it kind of ties into, you know, what people are secretly doing in the back. Well, is there likely to be a sequel to this? Did you like him well enough to bring him back? I did. I did. Now I, so you know he didn't actually die forever, <coughs> right? I just threw that away. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be funny? No, he actually died. The whole book is about a guy who never speaks, right? <laughs> Um, no, he, he, a lot of people love him. Um, they, they love, and, and it's funny, a lot of people have said, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Jack Reacher, but he's a little bit more quiet. Uh, and he's not big. He's not big, and he's, you know, he's, he's a regular guy, but he just has certain instincts that are very um, unusual. So, yeah, I'm working on the sequel. In fact, I'm just about to finish it in the oh, next good. probably week or so. Then I'll get that into the pulp. And, and what's cool is, I mean, if you like the story, a lot of people are like, wow, there's a lot of stuff I didn't see coming. And the second one is like, it'll blow your mind when you find out what, what's really going on kind of you know, behind and what they're really after. And, uh, so you're thinking of this as a duology, a trilogy? Maybe yeah, it's either going to be a duology or a trilogy. It depends. I mean, if people think it's terrible, it'll be a duology, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it might actually turn out to be um, a, a trilogy. And one thing I'll tell you about the second one is that it turns out there's somebody else they want to bring back. And it's not at all who you think it is. You're really having fun with this, aren't you? I am. I am. I can see. It's I'm great right. to see an author who, instead of, you know, suffering for his art or whatever, is just really having a good time. So do you think that uh, this has been easier for you to, to write and publish because you had these previous books out? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, the Breakthrough Series was super popular. Um, Monument Series has actually been really popular. But, you know, what's funny. People ask me, you know, where do you get your ideas and how do you know about all this stuff? And I'm like, you know, I guess it was a benefit of being a geek. Because when you're a geek, you're kind of interested in a lot of different things, a lot of different subjects. I've always been interested in a lot of different fields, always been a very kind of curious person. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun to write about stuff. And to kind of tie all these little, you know, pieces uh, into one kind of big, cool story. And, 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 and at the same time, when you do that, it, it tends to make it like a multi-genre. People say, so what genre is it? I'm like, ah, it's kind of a little bit of everything. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it, it is, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun when you're interested in a lot of things and, uh, and you can tell a decent story that people don't hate, then, yeah. So define for me the difference between geek and nerd. Geek sounds oh. more positive, whereas nerd seems to be sort of yeah, a negative. Yeah, nerd's got that connotation, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> there's a big difference, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Geek, yeah. Well, you just called yourself a geek, so I thought that was probably more positive. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I kind of, uh, I guess geek comes to me because of the whole computer geek connotation, right? There's that term computer. Computer geek has been around forever. So I was a computer geek. Always. I worked on computers and networks and things like that. Um, but it was technical enough that that, like I said, it kind of dipped me in all these different little areas of science and research and things. that. Were I you a gamer? A little bit. A little bit. I, I didn't get really deep into it. I, I had for a while, but then I had kids, and that's really difficult when you got kids, certainly young kids. And then by then, you know, my girls were young, and I, I wrote the, the first book, and, and I kind of got sidetracked on that. So so now you're a book geek. I'm a book geek. And then, yeah, so I, so I, wrote, the, I wrote the first several books, and then I had a bit of a life-changing experience. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of take the, I'm gonna take the leap and see how it goes. So I was, I was lucky in that sense. Um, yeah, I'm lucky. And, and listen, I'll be the first to admit, when it comes to you know whether you know selling books or you know having a hit like a a song or or a movie, you never know what's going to really kind of catch people's fancy, right? What people are really going to kind of dig. So a lot of luck. There was a lot of luck. Timing is everything. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, right. So a question. Wonderful. Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. One is uh, it goes a little bit to what Barbara was talking about, and that is that this kind of southwestern area doesn't see a lot of uh, horrendous events and things like that. Again, wh why I'm sure Alcor is here and that sort of thing. So that was part of it. Uh, another part is I've always loved Arizona. I grew up in California, but I've always loved Arizona. I've been here many, many times. Um, and, in fact, I, I think I'll probably leave, uh, leave California at some point, and Arizona is kind of at the top of the list. Uh, and Flagstaff, I've always loved Flagstaff because you guys have water. <laughs> I mean, well, at least you have cooler temperatures, right? You got a higher elevation, you got the mountain, things like that. And I've gone through Flagstaff a couple of times, and I just thought it was a really neat little area. So the university is fabulous. You know, it's really grown. Right. Um, I was trying to remember year before last, we went up because I like to go to Winslow and hang out at yeah. La Posada. I love the hotel there. 
and by good fortune, we went to see the the crater part and the what's it called the the Indian rune right behind it. I can't remember, which is wonderful. Yeah, no, we did go to Sunset Crater, but there is a, an exceptionally nice Indian rune just north of the Sunset Crater. Anyway, we went, and then came that fire, you know, sort of right after we'd gone to see it, and it burned so much of the crater in that um, um, Pueblo or whatever whatever it was. But um, thank you, that's it. Um, but I was, by chance, we wandered into the campus and really loved it and went around. And um, as we were driving along, I looked out on the sidewalk, here came this little robot with a pizza box just trundling along, you know. So I was so excited. I got out of the car, went out, you know, took a, took a photo of this little guy. I'm sure he was heading for some dormitory or, you know. Oh, was what, a, a robot on Yeah, no, it was, it was, yeah, that's my point is that, you know, here, here was this little robot and delivering pizzas, carrying his pizza and zipping along the sidewalk. Only on a college campus. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, but it was really neat. And then one of my um, actual ambitions is to go and visit the observatory there, but we weren't at the right time to do it. Um, it didn't, isn't Diana doing some kind of a talk in Flagstaff about, I'm sure that she scheduled or has already done it. I think it was earlier in January. Yeah. Well, she and Doug, she and her husband Diana Gabaldon were talking about. She and her right. husband met at NAU. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's it, uh, well, uh, well. Yes, it was an exciting story. Well, but now anyway. I'm going to go look for free pizzas <laughs> up at that. Uh, at that I don't think it was free. I think that the well, robot they don't was know what on happened it. to it. But right? you know, I briefly thought, you know, right? <laughs> what if we just like kidnapped the robot? Wouldn't funny the robot gets right. there and there's only three pieces left? May <laughs> maybe it, you know, has a secret strafing mechanism, right. so if somebody tries to get it, it will shoot you down. I don't know. But anyway, I I was very impressed with with NAU and and Flagstaff. I love. I'd, I'd love, love to area. spend more time there. So, yeah, you probably. Know, it, it all, well, almost surely has to. Yeah, how else? But, but so here's the question, right? I mean, I, I get it. You know, the innovation and how cool it is and all that kind of thing. But is it really that much energy for the college kid to come down and walk over to the truck and pick up the pizza? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, don't know. they don't. You know, it reminds no. me of these. Have you guys seen these electric bicycles everywhere? Yeah. I mean, they're they're super cool, super cool. But it's like, really, can we, can we not even be bothered to pedal anymore? No. I mean, is that where is that where we're at? And they leave them all over, right. you know. I mean, not the bicycles, but the scooters, whatever it is. And you know, I thought I thought that Chinese company, I think it's a Chinese company, had a lot of brass, you know, introducing it with absolutely no pickup, whatever, forcing the city to go around and you know collect all these things and move them somewhere. I think they eventually have forced the company to do its own collecting but you know you yeah. would see them abandoned on you know anywhere it was like it ran out of juice or the driver ran out of juice whichever it might be and they'd be like on the roadside and piled up at corners and you know we had some stacked up outside the store one day and yeah so, so you know it's, it's really what, kind a, of what a great business plan yeah, yeah for oh, sure. it really was and and, and people <laughs> getting i want to say this carefully because i'm on camera um it, it's so easy to get so lazy right i mean technology is really amazing but the downside of technology is well look i i was reading a, a study just a, a couple of years ago and they said that the average adolescent today spends less time outside than the average prison inmate right 
Because, I mean, all these kids are on the phones or they're on their games or they're, you know, it, it's, it's a very different world, right? When we grew up, it was like, you know, you get on your bike and you go figure out what to do, you know. And so th that's the other part of the deep freeze. It's really kind of interesting. I had a couple people that actually wrote to me, a couple of my fans, and said, you know, this was, that was, I was not expecting a certain aspect of that story because there is a, a mild backdrop, which is a little bit of uh, an apocalyptic backdrop. It's not a major part of the story, but I did want to, I've always wanted to write that kind of, not end of times or anything like that, but what happens when we get to a certain point in our culture, technologically, that becomes unsustainable socially, right? Where we just, we can't get, I mean, p people, the obesity rates, for especially for kids, are just off the Actually, chart. the frightening part is the cancer rates. Um, and whatever it was, I was reading. We get three newspapers a day, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Arizona Republic. I try to balance it out, you know. So, um, But in one of them, I think it was the journal, actually. I, I only get it for their arts and science coverage. You know, I rip up the editorial <laughs> page every day. But um, they, they had an article about rising cancer rates in the young, and they said the most common one is rectal cancer, and it's because these people, kids, are sitting really? like 10 or 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, they they formed a core. I mean, wow. there's a, a so link. Yeah, um, and there's a lot um, of other things about in age. You, you need to avoid if you're my age. You need to avoid sitting for too long because you need to get up and move. But apparently, lying down is safer than actually sitting up. I haven't quite figured why, but there's something about sitting that is not that great for the body. Yeah. It does. It totally yeah. does. It makes yeah. me want to stand up. And right. So listen. <laughs> well, but, but, you know, people are starting to set timers so they get up from their keyboards. And, you know, yeah. I, I leave little household errands. So, you know, every 15 minutes or so I get up and go to the laundry or, you know, do something, you know, walk to the mailbox, whatever, walk three miles every morning, you know, try to not sit for a really prolonged period. Yeah, well, and, and, and it's interesting because it, wh whether it's, you know, the, the physical aspect, the social aspect, one of the things, I mean, that the technology, again, and this was a, a, some trouble I had being a computer geek is I kind of realized that technology is pretty awesome, but it's got this terrible dark side, and you could see it coming. It's getting worse and worse. You know, people are on their phones. I mean, I, I asked my kids, my girls. I say, hey, how much time do you spend on your phone on average? Because, you know, you have the little thing on uh, on your Apple phone, and it tells you how much you spent last week on average. And they won't even tell me mm -hmm. how, how much time that they spend every day on the phone. It's like, I don't know, six There's hours. a thing on Instagram where somebody has offered a considerable amount of money. I want to say $10,000, but it might have been 100 I can't remember what. Um, and the winner is somebody who can prove that they stayed off their phone <laughs> for a month. And the guy said he's this, he's perfectly safe. Because nobody, <laughs> nobody is actually going to be able to win this prize. I thought that was pretty scary when you think about so it. So what's the downside of that, right? I mean, it's amazing. So that, that was kind of part of this, right? Because it's not just the technology that's enabling this. It's what's funding technology. And what's funding technology is a lot of debt and a lot of printed money by governments. And so governments are just printing and printing and printing. And, and that there, there's a... There's, there's a uh, consequence to that. And so at some point, things start to break. And that's kind of what happens when John Reef wakes up. Things have happened. And we've kind of reached that point. And so there's a lot of people are honestly predicting uh, with all of this, not just all the money, but all the, all the technology and all the uh, sloth is probably not quite the right word. But, I mean, 
everything is so <laughs> maybe gluttony is a better word, but at, at a certain point, it, it has it, it's going to reach it, it has the breakdown where I, I think that in a, a lot of ways society is going to have to kind of move backwards towards a bit more normal state of existence where for example a lot of kids seem to have lost this connection between effort and reward right where they get they get whatever they want and they don't really have to do much for it when we were kids i mean look if you wanted something you had to go out and you got to have a job or rake leaves or whatever it is but there's there's that 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 that's broken down quite a bit i see it in my own kids where yeah. you know they're like hey dad hey, just give me some money <laughs> well what are you doing <laughs> right so I, I think behaviorally or socially, I think there's going to be some reckoning that kind of brings us back to some something a bit more familiar that we've actually known before. And that's kind of what takes place, I think, though. Well, we could just destroy the electrical grid and that will force us all oh, to go yeah. back, you know, to wherever we are. Anybody have a question that they would like to ask? Thank you for your sir. Do you have one? I, I write books extremely fast because I plagiarize everything. <laughs> I just cut and paste. <laughs> no. so AI was meant <laughs> yeah, for right, you, exactly. right? Well, that's some authors are kind of worried about the whole AI thing, right? Yeah. Um, Actually, the Copyright Office at the Library of Congress um, had a seminar today, or there's some huge thing going on um, because the issue, the AI, they are going to be one of the most affected, you know, organizations yeah. by AIs. Can they actually issue copyright? To a computer. Yeah, I, somebody was telling me a story about, and I'll answer your question in a minute, but, but somebody was telling me a story, a friend, about how they took this AI engine and they said, hey, write uh, 100 books like um, in the theme of William Shakespeare. And it spit them out in like, you know, a couple hours or something. Like, so it's, it's, it's scary. But yeah, so the writing process is kind of um, you know, interesting. I'm, I'm kind of a slow writer. Uh, I know some people a lot of people have asked me do you do you outline your books like you said i mean do you work on multiple books i couldn't do multiple books because i would just lose too much because a lot of the story is in your head um i outline and, and this is something that i tell a lot of writers groups that i talk to uh, i outline probably the first half of the book and it's really small you know a couple of couple of sentences per chapter the big things that i think are going to happen right um and the reason that I don't go any further than that is because, you know, a book can take you a year to write, six months, a year, two years, depending. And during that time, there's so much, there's so much that kind of comes in. There's so many ideas you have along the way. And the story really, in some ways, start, starts to take on a life of its own. And while you may have an idea about how you want it to end, there's so many neat ideas that you have along the way that you just don't want to get in the way of that. Right, so you don't want to kind of lock yourself. Now, my brother wanted to write a book, and so he went to a, a local workshop where he lived, and uh, and there was this this gal who was a writer, and she was teaching the class, and she actually said something interesting. She said, uh, "I don't recommend anybody start a book until you know exactly how it's going to end." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine that." Some people, believe it or not, some people write. I've heard. I don't think this happens too often. Writes the last chapter first. And I'm like. How does that work? How it works is, is different for every writer. Yeah, But exactly. here's the thing to keep in mind, words of wisdom given to me years ago, which is absolutely true. The end has to be as good as the beginning. If you have a great idea, 
but you don't deliver an ending to go with it, the whole book falls flat. Yeah, I believe it. And there are plenty of books that start out with a bang and have a great idea, and then you and know then it's it like a squib yeah. at the end. And that you know you're readers, so you've undoubtedly read books like that. And so really, it isn't all that bad an idea to you know to have an idea. About yeah, at least you know what you're. Well, did you ever hear the whole story about uh, James Cameron and the Terminator movie? I, so I was reading that – has everybody seen the Terminator movie? If you haven't, then shame on you. But, yeah, so the Terminator is so iconic, right? And there was a scene towards the end where Sarah Connor and uh, Reese, you know, he's injured and they're trying to get away. And, and there's a big um, a fuel tanker that explodes, and it burns off all the Terminator skin. And he walks out, and he's just like this skeleton, this metal skeleton kind of coming after him down the street. And I was reading that apparently James Cameron, that was his, that was his idea. That, that, that's what he saw in this movie. And he built the, whole, the rest of the story around that one scene. So, yeah. I mean, it was dramatic. So yeah, absolutely. Sorry, it was dramatic. Anybody else have a question? No? Online question? Okay. Oh, hey, Trav. <laughs> To mention Maine. I'm trying to think what the scene state, that was. The state, the battleship, what? Yeah, I, it's got to be the state, right? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so, you know, I think this happens a lot with writers, is a lot of writers kind of write what they know or write what they're familiar with. And so it's not uncommon that you have characters that are, you know, semblances of somebody that you know uh, or pieces or something like that. And it's true with locations as well. So, like I said, you know, Flagstaff, I've always liked Flagstaff. I've always liked Arizona. It was just a perfect setting for this particular story. It really worked out. A lot of scenes, I think, are very commonly written in places where uh, authors are familiar with or they like to be more familiar with. Um, they spent time. They've passed through. Something really kind of stuck out to them. So it's not usually totally random. It's usually some kind of a, a connection. And I've actually been to Maine many, many times, and I like Maine quite a bit, too. <laughs> wow, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't. Maybe the technology has to improve I, I, for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess. I, I guess I should. <laughs> I mean, what, who, who, who? I mean, well, here's the, here's kind of part of this kind of story, right? Because one of the conundrums in the story is that. Look, you can have your body preserved, and this is what this kind of secret society, this very next society, is a very small group we're trying to do. Um, but the problem is, is look, if you're you know 80, 90 years old, and you're kind of on, you decide, okay, I'm going to freeze myself. Well, when you wake up, you're still 80 or 90 years old. But what's really interesting is not just the cryonic stuff, but there's a lot of other research being done when it comes to rejuvenation, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about like synthetic things or you know chemicals or, or even genetic things. There's some natural things that they're stumbling upon that's really startling. Have you guys heard of telomeres? Mm -hmm. They're the little end caps at the end yeah. of these chromosomes, right? And, they're and that's what ages you. Yeah, if right. they can prevent the telomeres from um, deteriorating, they can actually prevent you from aging yeah so that's been a huge part of uh longevity research for a long time or the telomeres right because they can tell how quickly the telomeres are shortening when they get to be certain uh, you know when they get to be mm -hmm. too short they just your chromosome your cells stop stop right replicating right and so they're like well how do we kind of slow that 
because they can kind of tell. But what they're actually starting to find is there are things that not just slow the telomeres, but reverse it. Reverse it. Yeah. And, and things like high oxygen environment. Right. So some people, I'm, I'm not kidding, some people have gotten like these oxygen tents and they'll like spend a couple of hours a day in these high oxygen tents. Wait, it even goes farther. Remember I mentioned the Wall Street Journal? They have a really annoying section on Friday called Mansions when people with huge amounts of money, you know, and million dollar estates and all. But they had a feature not too long ago, a couple in Colorado build a house so their entire bedroom is a barrier, is an oxygen yeah, chamber yeah, right. so they can sleep every night in a high oxygen environment. I mean, you well, know, I thought that was taking it fairly well, far. And they're actually finding <laughs> in things in like foods. Have they're you guys, in their 40s, I think. Has anybody heard of like intermittent fasting? Yes. Where you basically you take a break yeah. from the eating stuff? They're actually finding that even like things like that have a dramatic impact on how quickly your chromosome or those telomeres shorten, right? And they, they've actually found that certain foods, and I kid you not, certain foods will accelerate or slow you know, the healthier you eat, the slower your telomere shortening is. One thing they've actually found recently, and this is this is really new, one of the things that almost doubles this, the pace of your aging and your telomeres is sugar. So they're finding all these things. So, so the idea in the book is, okay, look, if you wake up and you're, you don't want to wake up and you're, you're in the same old body. So the idea is, wait a minute, are there therapies? Because if you're frozen, let's say, for 20 or 30 years or whatever, 100 years, or if you're frozen for all that time, are there therapies that can be slowly applied to your body that start to rejuvenate things? Because, it, look, if you've got a telomere that not just stops shrinking, but now you're actually feeding it what it needs, whether it's high oxygen or super healthy foods, and, and it starts to re-lengthen, and they're finding this actually happens. I'm not making this up. That is reverse aging. And so what happens to your body? What condition is your body in if your telomeres have been slowly growing back? So the idea is not just to freeze yourself, but there's also therapies that they're working on that can ha have you wake up and you're actually in a slightly younger or maybe significantly younger body, just like you, just like you were. It's just Ponce de Leon still looking for the you know fountain of youth. Did you have a question? Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I am really boring in my process, but uh, there's a benefit to that. Um, so I've seen the people with, you know, they, they, they kind of map it out, and they've got that kind of visual guide, and I think that's super helpful. It's a little bit of what I do when I kind of, you know, um, outline some of the stuff. I'll, I'll refer back to that. So it's kind of like a version of, of the Post-its, but it's all in one document. And I know there's a lot of really great programs out there like Scrivener and things like that that you can use. I use Word um, because, I, you know, I've used Word for 40 years for you know, my, my career and stuff, so it's actually very easy. Um, I use Word, but what I do is 
most of the ideas that I write, so this, this idea <coughs> had been in my head for years, right? There was really two different, two big ideas that were in my head, and I tend to let ideas percolate for a long time uh, because, you know, as a writer, you, you're trying to think of all these, uh, all these other aspects to the story, right? All these other threads and connections and, you know, how do you puzzle that out and how do you connect those two things and how does that work? Because you you've got to write it in a way that's believable, right? So you can't just... Um, and so my stories tend to percolate for long periods of time in my head. And so by doing that, I find that I work out a lot of the logistical issues and a lot of the ideas. The benefit, it takes me longer to write, the benefit is I very rarely have to rewrite anything. I mean, I might go back and take this part out or something like that, make some changes or additions, but it's very rare. And so I think that's a benefit of letting it percolate is you work out a lot of the things that maybe some people haven't worked out before they put something down on paper that doesn't necessarily work. Does that make sense? It does. <coughs> Yeah, I could see the value in doing that. I always keep mine on the computer only because I'm a computer geek. Um, Not a nerd. We've yeah, already right, exactly. Uh, so I, you know, my laptop goes with me pretty much everywhere, and I've written. Irish, she has an excellent point, which is I have found because I go back and forth from Word in reviews to you know email and whatever it is. I have found that if I take something I've written in Word and put it in an email, I see it differently. Or if I take yeah, something sure. out of an email or whatever it is and I put it into Word, I see it differently. And I do think it helps to to make those trends. I mean, Patrick, you do a lot. Do you find yourself, you know, moving from email to, to text and whatever and, and, and it shows up differently? I mean, when I edited a book, I, I printed out everything and wrote on the book. Partly it was because it's faster if I could just, you know, like say, period, here, yeah, yeah. you know, or, you know, cut here, just exit out or whatever it may be. Well, it, it's much harder to edit on screen, I it, think. I, I think you're exactly right. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been editing on screen or I'm going to make a change and I, I'm scrolling and I can't remember where the hell I was. Right. Or I'm like, I lose the sentence. I'm like, oh, gosh. And now I'm... Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I can totally see the benefit of doing it. I've just never kind of gotten into the habit. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming tonight. We do have another group that's going to be coming in. So I want to say thank you very much. You, it's really been lots of fun it. to talk to you. I appreciate you having me. Right. Thanks. Thank you Thanks for everybody. joining us. And virtual audience, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Um, and I will send you the links to the Facebook and the YouTube and Perfect. the podcast so that you can use those. So actually, this becomes like a forever book tour. There you go. I know. Awesome. It's a lot of fun. Right. right You're welcome. Thanks, thanks very much for coming down. I hope you enjoyed your meeting upstairs. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.